Thursday, the 25th of March, 2021. I'm Todd Brinker. This is Back from the Brink. That's right. This is the after show from On the Brink Morning Radio Show on KCA Radio. And today we continue our conversation about questions that should be asked of President Biden at his first press conference this morning. It'll be at 1015 West Coast time, 115 East Coast time. Tune in to your uh television on probably almost every station. I would guess that ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN, Fox, um, you know, pretty much all of them are going to cover this press conference. It'll be very interesting to see how they cover it and that, you know, that 10 to 15 minutes afterwards, the comments that they make, their initial impressions, obviously some are going to say, wow, that was amazing. He was stunning. He was wonderful. And others are going to say, the man was a bumbling idiot. I think he's lost his mind. He's old and he doesn't understand what's going on in the world. And that's the, I, I predict that will be the, uh, the, the responses by both the right-leaning and left-leaning, or actually in order left-leaning and then right-leaning um, uh, news media, um, which is easy to predict because that's what they always do. They all spin it. Um, but anyway, um, we'll see what it is. I'd like to see the guys from ESPN do it. Of course, that is an ABC channel, which tends to be, their, at least their news division is very liberal. Um, but, uh, yeah, it'd be fun to see CNN go, you know, well, he almost had it. And then he, uh, was coming up the court and he answered the question, just not quite right. And he crashed it, boom. And it's like, well, I don't trust him. You know, let me explain what I'm talking about. Let me lay it out for you. I could just see the new, the, the sports guys. They have a totally different take and be fun. Um, but the questions that we talked about, the questions, um, there's an article, uh, that's posted on, uh, CNN politics by Zachary Wolf. And what he did is it's 30 questions for Biden's first press conference. And these are just questions that he and others at CNN have put together saying that, you know, that questions that need to be asked, questions that need to be answered. Now, the way it goes is, you know, they'll call on and, and very often they have the order already set up so that when you go into a press conference, um, uh, you know, each each news agency will get to ask a question. So they'll go to, you know, a reporter from CNN, a reporter from ABC. And very often they'll start with uh, reporters from, you know, more politically aligned, uh, supposedly friendly sources so that they, um, uh, you know, have a uh, some softball questions up front. And and, uh, you know, but I mean, that, that doesn't mean that they're not good questions that need to be answered. They'll just be phrased in more general ways or, or softer ways, right? Like, um, you can ask a question, and that's the thing where the, the subtle difference, it's the little things that make it different, right? You know, like if you agree with the guy, you know, you've you've successfully met your goal to give 100 million vaccines in arms in less than 100 days. It's, you know, you impressively did this or something like that. So you can say impressively, successfully, or, you know, you easily met a goal that was set so low that you were going to make it whether you did nothing, <laughs> you know, which is, I mean, it, to be honest, they were when he took office, they were already doing a million vaccines a day. So if he did nothing, just let it ride and did exactly what Trump had set and didn't touch the system at all in any way, they would have met that 100 million vaccines in 100 days. That The, the goal was ridiculously low. So when the president comes out and says, nobody said we could do it, but we did it. Don't believe him. That's baloney. That's spin. Because... Everybody who looked at the numbers said, you're already doing it. You were doing it before you got here. 
So why is that goal so low? Um, you know, we're probably going to double it, which is great, you know. But when he comes online in May, which was the goal to do it by May, and says, we doubled it, nobody thought we could. Again, yeah, that's probably about what we expected you were going to, you know. And and we would have done the exact same thing had you not been president and Trump been president. It doesn't really matter. That 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 whole thing was already in motion, you know. And the, the lie that that uh, nothing was there and you, you inherited nothing and had to then recreate uh, a response to COVID from the ground up is baloney. Now, and, and Fauci has called him on that. As, 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 you know, he's come out and said, that's ridiculous. I sat in on those meetings. We had plans. Obviously, we we're putting, you know, a million shots in arms a day by the time you came into office. So trying to say that we had nothing going is baloney. Um, you know, give credit where credit's due. But all presidents do that. He's not the first. He won't be the last who comes online and immediately says, uh, uh, you know, I'm going to take credit for everything that was done by my predecessor. So here's Aaron. Hello. 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 So I was just talking about like the, the first question um, in this article by um, uh, Zachary Wolf from CNN. The first question again was, will you get more ambitious about COVID? And, and the fact that, you know, that the, the number that he set, the goal that he set was ridiculously low. And I was predicting that when the deadline, which he said they would do 100 million vaccines in arms in, in, in 100 days by May. OK, so when that May rolls around and they've doubled that number, I if not the president himself, somebody for the president will come out and say nobody thought we could do it. And we doubled the number. And don't believe it. Everybody thought that's about what you should be doing. Everybody who knew the numbers were going on. That's about what they thought was going on, you know. Uh, uh, Dr. Fauci came out when they, you know, when they said that the, the 100,000 number and nobody said we could do it and we inherited nothing. There were no plans. Fauci came out, went, that's a lie. We, that's baloney. We, I sat in the meetings. There were lots of plans. We were already giving a million shots in arms before you even came into office. So so had you done nothing, had you sat on your hands and done absolutely nothing and just let it ride exactly the way we had set it up before you were president or had Trump become president we would have hit that 100 million number. That number was ridiculously low, you know. And by the number of days that you listed, we, we expected that we'd probably be somewhere between, you know, 1.8 and 2.2 million. That's kind of the expectation. And, and, and it's been published. People have said that. So, you know, just because the president comes out and said, nobody thought we could do it. Never trust a president who says nobody thought we could do something, but we did it because they're lying. <laughs> every president, you know, and every president takes it takes takes a bow for what the last guy did and says, last guy did nothing, but I fixed it. Now it's perfect. And it's like, yeah, yeah. The other guy had it all in motion. You just came in and inherited it, you know, but they all do that. Presidents go figure. They have egos. You know, it's hard to believe that a person who wants to be president of the United States actually has an ego. Uh, but yeah, they really do. <laughs> and I'm saying who would want that job. That yeah. is like, I, th- there's no way I would want that job. Of course, I don't want to run for any office, but yeah, um, you know, oh, I just couldn't do that job. Not that I. Yeah. Yeah. I just wouldn't want to do that job. That's a better description. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, I would. I, yeah. I have obviously no desire and no political uh, inspiration to go out and run for any office. But, you know, I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind being the person who, who puts together a group of people to make good decisions. And I have no problem making decisions. You know, I, I'm a pretty decisive oh, person. But um, but by the same token, uh, 
all of the cruft that goes around with it and the incredible long slog politically and, and hanging yourself out there and being criticized all the time to to get to those type of jobs is just has no appeal to me whatsoever. You know, yep. um, you know, but the idea of doing something so that I could help, you know, my community, my state, my country by, you know, being in a position like that, that's not unappealing it's just the cruft that comes along with it <laughs> it is such that it deters me from any interest in doing that you know and uh you know i know my brother your husband tobin uh you know has done that he's put himself out there he's run for political office and he's won and he's lost and he's done you know it's he's had a political career and and you know, that hasn't deterred him from thinking about it, you know, again, I mean, you know, he, he actually enjoyed the process. For me, it just it, it, no appeal whatsoever. Yep. Yep. Yeah, he did 10 years at elected office. Um, yeah. And uh, I think he's enjoying the civilian life. <laughs> yeah. So to speak now. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean he won't at some point run for office again. He's not, he's not exactly. thinking about it for the immediate future. But, you know, he's leaving the option open for later. Exactly. I mean, he talks about it every once in a while. And I think there were things about that life and, the, and about those kinds of jobs that really appealed to him because he has a real nature of of um, uh, wanting to to help a community. He really does. Right. I mean, that's in his yeah. heart and soul. He wants and, and he's the kind of guy who has when he when he has been elected really, really cares about helping. That's his motivation is helping his community. It's like, let's yeah. help them make the right decisions. And it frustrates him to no end when he sees, you know, leadership of. Uh, you know, it, it, and he's always been in local politics, you know, at the local level, making decisions that are not in the benefit of the community. And that bothers yeah. him to no end. And, you know, and you've got to love that heart and soul. Um, you know, it's not like we're but like I said, we're not announcing him, you know, planning. We're not we're not pre-announcing no. for him that he's going to be doing anything. But I no, think, you know, there's not. parts aspects of that that he liked and wouldn't mind doing it again. But at this, by the same token, like you said, he's he's also really kind of reveled in the the uh that deep sigh that you get when you're not having people like tracking you all the time and criticizing everything you say and you know and they're doing it in public you know in the news in you know in your local newspapers and it's just that's and, and it doesn't matter what you stand what stand you take somebody's going to come and attack you with it you know because they yeah. have a different stand and they're absolutely certain that they're right and, you know, and, and a lot of politicians are absolutely certain that they're right. You know, good politicians are willing to listen to, you know, opposing views. Um, and I know Tobin has always done that, but it's it's um, it's a difficult thing. It's a difficult thing. Yeah, there's not there's no appeal to me, you know, but but I can see how some people would see it, you know, find it appealing. Uh, it's one of those jobs where the things where you do good things and the, and the ability to do good things is incredibly fulfilling. But all of the other that comes with it is so incredibly annoying <laughs> that you have to yeah. balance that. You know, you really got to find a balance. Yeah. So politics. So anyway, you know, I was going back through some of these questions anyway, and we had talked about the fact that, you know, you know, what are you going to do about misinformation online and Trump's new platform and why they put those two together? Well, it's CNN, because. You know, I think it's two questions. What are you going to do about Trump's new platform? Nothing. He has every right to create a platform and more power to him. You know, he's an American. He's a he's a a American. He's a civilian now, an American citizen, and he can do whatever he wants and 
you know, build his own business however he feels like. What should yes. be done about misinformation online? That's another thing. And, and it's not really a presidential thing. It's a legislative thing. But the president can try to lead that legislation, God. right? And try to... No, it's, no, it's not. We have a freedom of speech. Well, yeah, but the uh, the structure of of some of the online systems are set up such to provide wrong information to people, and 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 I think there's you have a freedom of speech, but you can't continually um, define uh, wrong. You know, lie to people in and wrong. Put, I'm trying to uh, to to publish and 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 provide people things that are factually incorrect as news when uh you're 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 saying that that it is a a fact and i think that that is you know there are laws out there already for um and i don't remember how they all lay out but you know slander and and there there are some laws out there and how they apply and i think some of it has to do with just how the platforms are set up and the laws and i think that there maybe needs to be a revisiting of section um 230 and that's all i'm talking about there it's not yeah you're not trying to tell people what they can or can't say you know, I mean, we're not trying to put the onion out of business because what they publish isn't real. I mean, but at least they come out and say it isn't real. But it's hilarious when you see a straight news agency pick up an onion story and publish it and not realize that it's that it's comedy. Yes. <laughs> and then they yeah, then they come back and they 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 uh, they retract it very quickly and go, oops, sorry, our bad. Just shows you how quickly they want to get things out without actually doing any research or, or effort to to check the veracity of anything they publish these days. So you know that remember the the phone call that Trump allegedly had with the with the Georgia elections uh, officials saying that they needed he needed to find the fraud and that yeah that was that was the, the government governor wasn't it? Uh, I don't remember who it was with, but it was a lie. It never happened. So the Wall Street Journal got a copy of that, got an audio recording of that phone call. And those, what, what they, what the news media said, and it was New York Times and the Washington Post, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It didn't happen that way. It didn't happen. Trump right, never yeah. said that. Yeah, well, the, what was quoted widely was, he said, find the votes. And he I, and I understand that, that, that what he actually said was find the fraud, which is a totally different thing. Find the votes implies that you want me to go uh, create votes find the fraud means that hey i believe something is underhanded happening here go figure it out go find out what's happening that's underhanded and and that's but, a a totally different word totally different phrase has completely different meaning again has yeah. to do with selection it, of it, it, words yeah so when you when you start talking about regulating what's true and what's not you know i don't trust right. the mainstream media either so you know if if right all of these calls for, you know, uh, curtailing what they call misinformation or disinformation, um, it's, yeah. it's coming from left-leaning news sources because they want to control the narrative. No, you cannot control the narrative. Yeah. No. Well, but I think the right-leaning news sources do it just they do it their way. You know, it's the issue is like trying to control the narrative. They're not trying to shut anybody down, Todd. Nobody is saying that they should shut down the Washington Post and CNN because they got that story wrong. Yeah, it wasn't Washington Post though, was it? It was they're 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 more right leaning. It was the Washington um, Washington Post is not right leaning, not at all, not even a little bit. I subscribe. It is a this is the democracy democracy dies in in darkness. It's owned by the Washington same guy Post. who owns Fox. 
No, it's owned by uh, by the guy who owns Amazon. It's owned by Bezos. Oh, oh, Washington. I'm, I'm sorry, New York Post. I, I'm sorry, I was wrong. City. Not the New York Post, the Washington Post. Washington Post. You're right. I'm sorry. Yeah, I was thinking wrong place. You're absolutely right. Yeah, it's, it's Jeff Bezos owns the Post. You're right. The the Washington Post. Um, the uh, yeah, you know, I mean, I mean, you're absolutely right because I mean, at the beginning of this, so so I mean, I I didn't think well as I was trying to phrase what I was saying there previously because I before you came on air I was pointing out that I think it's the little things like the very first question on here is being more ambitious about COVID and the first sentence is the U.S. easily met your goal of 100 million vaccine shots in a less than 100 days and the word easily you could use the word easily you could use the word miraculously you could use the word and and uh, uh, you know uh, difficult you know or, or amazingly you could use you know that word and how you change that word changes the tone of that entire thing and yes. really makes people think like that was a, a amazing thing that you did or you know easily i think is probably a good choice because i think it was easily met because we were already on track for that goal when he was elected um, so you know he, it was his goal. Sure, he made that goal. But it's like, you know, me saying my goal is to, you know, successfully make my commute without being hit by a car. And being that my commute is 30 feet down my driveway, um, you know, unless <laughs> I, I'm more likely to hit my car in the driveway than the car is to hit me. Let's put it that way as I'm walking out in the morning, you know, carefully trying to not spill my coffee. Um, you know, so, I mean, yeah, that's pretty easily met goal. Right. Um, you know, it's you know, it could have been they could have easily said you know, your ridiculously easy or obviously soon to be met goal of 100, you know, so you, the, the little things, those little modifiers change the meaning of stuff so much and they drive people's thought process. And that is what is so uh, annoying about news is that, you know, three different people can report the exact same thing, have the same sentence and change one word and totally change the meaning and implication of what's going on there. And, uh, and and Americans need to learn to read between the lines on that kind of stuff as a whole, because, you know, otherwise you get very programmed. Wow. He didn't, he did amazing. He amazingly met this, this goal that nobody thought he would make. He said so. And, and it's like, well, yeah, not really. <laughs> yeah. You know, and that's where we've got to watch it. I mean, you know, I'm I'm not for censorship in any way, shape, or form. And I, you know, and and controlling the narrative obviously is the job of the people writing the stories, the news people. Um, you know, I wish that they would take their job more responsibly. Um, you know, the and and I don't know that there's a, a magic pill to fix the problem in terms of having incredibly untrustworthy untrustworthy fourth estates, but that's kind of where we are. Um, I mean, people in the news world, in the United States anyway, have to make a living. And that means that they have to sell ads on their TV shows and in their newspapers. And lots of people in that world have seen lots of people in their business leave their business or, you know, get fired because there's fewer and fewer jobs because there's not that much advertising money. I mean, newspapers are, are skeletons of what they used to be. And, uh, you know, and there, so there's, there's a few sort of national newspapers and you know they're a handful i mean you know the new york times the los angeles times the washington post you know a couple big national newspapers usa today still has a newsroom um you know the wall street journal i mean there's five how often are other newspapers quoted that much 
a lot of local newspapers are now owned by big chains, and very often they just republish stories that were written at the national level, and then they publish local sports, and maybe uh, you know they'll have one reporter who goes and handles like local politics or something going on. Their newsroom that used to be, you know, a hundred people is now like five, and so the news agencies are as a business hanging on by a thread to uh, to to stay alive and stay in in business and be viable. And when you're you've got such financial pressures, they're doing whatever they can to get money, and and that means that they're not focused on reporting good news. They're focused on staying in business, and you know, and that's just a reality of where we are with news today. They have not figured out how to. They, I mean, the the vast majority of newspapers, and that was where most people got their local news for years, have not figured out how to um, manage their business very well in an online world you know i mean they're they're trying you know but and and most local newspapers now have local websites for local news but they still want people to subscribe and let's face it most people don't pay subscriptions to to web pages they just don't not like they do to newspapers i do but i'm weird yeah yeah i mean you have a house full of books too you're a reader you know most people do most of their reading online these days, and so the sources they get are limited. You know, it's Google News, it's it's uh, Facebook News. It's sad. It's sad. So, one of the other questions: um, Have you spent too much money to uh, have? Has the U.S. spent too much money to bail out airlines? They're the largest segment uh, that has received. They're, they're the segment that has really received the most direct government help. Uh, they've got $54 billion to prevent temporary layoffs, try to keep the U.S. airlines afloat. And there's only a few of them because they've all consolidated as well. Uh, so, you know, they've been shut down or, or I've ne- I guess they never shut down during COVID, but certainly they there was a ton of reductions of staff and flights because, you know, people were only flying if they absolutely had to. Um, you know, so is the answer just keep giving them money? I don't think so. Because, again, we're just printing up money at this point. Um, yeah, but the world is opening up. I think that this problem um, is going to be alleviated by, because of, um, right. you know, the, the circumstances have changed. Yeah. You know, although we say the world is o- opening up, you know, Britain is still hasn't reopened from their second big shutdown. And Italy, uh, sections of Italy were shutting back down again recently. So. You know, we're seeing worldwide some places are opening up and other places have opened up and then turned around and shut back down. So, um, you know, worldwide, it's very spotty. Okay. You know, um, and you mentioned the thing about the economy overheating. You know, what will you do if the economy overheats? I'm with you. I think it's it's a given. The economy is going to overheat. We're going to see inflation. So how are we going to handle that? And what's the Fed going to do? That's probably an answer for the Fed as much it is, as it is for the president. So I'd like to hear yeah, the well, Fed the chairs. Interest rates are going to rise. Interest rates yeah. are necessarily going to rise. And yeah, um, yeah I don't know. I think that uh, that people will will borrow less, meaning they they won't buy the big ticket items. They'll put off buying the cars right. and the homes and the and the other things. And you know, I worry about stagflation. You yeah, know, the seventies were yeah. were economically were a difficult time. Right. Well, and, and, you know, I mean, typically what the Fed does is if inflation starts, they drop the, the interest rates to get people to go back to borrowing. Well, the interest rates are already like at zero. 
are nearabouts, um, you can't drop it from there. <laughs> you can't unless you're going to say we're going to pay money to people who borrow money. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you want to borrow a hundred thousand dollars for a house, but we're going to give you a hundred and three. Yeah, that's not going to, that's not sustainable. <laughs> You're like, huh? How does that work? Yeah, you can't do that. Doesn't work. Doesn't work that way. Um, yeah, we talked about the tariffs. Um, making the, make the ending child poverty experiment permanent. Okay, so um, you frequently tout that the American Rescue Plan will reduce child poverty by more than half, but several key provisions last only a year. What will you do to make the changes to the child tax credit, earned income tax credit, and other measures permanent? Well, presuming he thinks that those have to be permanent, that's kind of a dumb question in my mind because what you do is you lobby to have that made permanent by the legislature. I mean, you know, it's, okay. it's, I'm not saying that the earned income tax credit is a bad thing. I just really hate the name because it's, it is, um, uh, misleading because very often mm-hmm. the people who get that tax credit, there's no earned income there. They're right. You know, so they file. So yeah. They you're get getting tax credit, credit for income that was earned by someone else. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And that just, you know, let's, let's just call it what it is. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, you know, that's one thing that especially at the national level uh, that politicians are really good at is giving something a name that sounds like one thing, but actually is doing something else. Because if you actually called it what it is, then people would go like, what? <laughs> you know, exactly. Um, that is that is not uh, not unusual, unfortunately. I, uh, I am fine with people at the lowest end of the spectrum getting support and help. I'm fine with that. I would like to see uh-huh. our. Uh, our welfare laws change so that what happens is, is that people who are low income are trapped because if they earn slightly more than, than, than the level where they, the cutoff, they go from getting a lot of support to getting no support. And it should be staged. If it should be, because you know, you want somebody to step their way out of poverty. There's no dignity in a handout. No dignity. There's an, there's emergency mm-hmm. help, but we want people to live dignified lives, and that takes self-sufficiency. Yeah. Yeah, you know, what I'd like to see with that, too, is as you phase out of that, as income comes in, there should also be some some uh, available training. You know, pick a skill. And and the government can say, here's the skills in the industries that we're, we're looking for people who can do this and, and provide access to education so that you can learn how to do that. And there's lots of things that you can do in a one-year or a two-year training program that you can now learn how to do. And and now you have a skill that you can go market, and then you can get off of this government support. So uh, you know? there are states that do that, not all of them. I mean, our community colleges are great places to, they are. to do that kind of work. Or adult schools or, or um, ROPs um, have mm-hmm. programs from medical assisting to barber shop to be a barber to learn how to be a welder to electrician mm-hmm. to you know auto mechanic you know whatever yeah yeah whatever your inclination is i mean you know quite honestly there there are one and two year programs that also teach you how to be like not only uh you know a computer technician but also ones that can teach you how to program you know and that's a specific skill set but you don't have to have a four year degree to be able to sit down and do that quite honestly there's a lot of places where they don't care if you have any degree you just have to demonstrate the ability to do it you know right. if you you're self taught they they that's don't it. yeah that that's what that's all they care about 
Uh, now, you know, if you're in a in a uh, larger corporation that does like government stuff, then they're probably going to want to see degrees and things like that. But but, you know, there's a lot of programming that goes on that has nothing to do with that. People who program the, the you know, the, the scanning systems at your grocery store, which sounds like an incredibly mundane thing. But I had a programmer that worked for me uh, years ago that left my employee to go work for a company that did exactly that. He, he wrote software. To that you know continually updated and made the the better the the barcode scanning software and the database system that managed the inventories at grocery stores you know and all that all that t- requires somebody to do it you know and so there's lots of jobs out there like that and they're always looking for more programmers but I will say if that's not your interest don't even try it because it is a very specific type of thing and it's hard to do a lot of you know like any skill it's hard to do until you've been trained but if you don't enjoy doing that kind of thing you'll never get yourself trained to be proficient at it because you just don't have the the knack for it and i'm and i'm saying it's not you know and and you can try it you can play around with it but if you have the knack for it you're going to be somebody who's picked up a book and already tried it right you're interested in it if you're that if that's you then go get the training go 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 figure out how to do it you know get better at it and get a job but yeah I remember having a conversation with um, uh, uh, a young person who was thinking that they wanted to go into computer science for their mm-hmm. their major in school. And I said, well, do you like computers? Yeah, I guess they're fine. You know, I said, do you have you done any programming? Do you create websites? Do you do do you, you know? No, I don't do any of that. I'm like, look, the people you're competing against, they live and breathe this stuff. They yeah. love it. This is their yeah. fun. They go home from, from their computer job and they play on their computer. Right. And not playing games. I mean, they may play games, but that's not their primary. They go home and they're like looking at code and trying to figure out how it does what it does. And, you know, when when you type in this line of code, it makes your computer do that and that they right. find, fun, you know, exciting. And yes. if that isn't you, do you, you know, because that's what your job would be. You'd be sitting every day looking at code, making a change, seeing what the change did, verifying that it doesn't cause other problems. I mean, there's just a lot of it, it for, for people who don't who, who aren't enthralled with that. That would be mind-numbingly boring. Oh my god, it would be agonizing for me. I would die. Yeah. I could not do that at all. It's funny because you know I bounce back and forth. I've never worked primarily as a programmer, but I have done programming for jobs. And every once in a while, I'll be doing something like that, and you know, some type of programming type of thing. Like uh, uh, recently, my wife was working with a um, uh, an educational website that. You could put like uh, math programs or, or math problems on, and then you could go in and use the scripting language attached to it to give automatic feedback to the kids. And so you would write code that would say, you know, if they give you this answer, then then here's how what the response would be. And then if they get the right response, how to then plug that into the database as a correct response so that you could then go and just look at their responses and see what was right and what was wrong and what their score was so it would automatically score. So there was a lot of coding behind the scenes there. you know. And it wasn't a specific language. It was just a scripting language designed to work with that particular website. But just that little bit of doing that, it's the first time I've done it in a while, it was like, that was so much fun. It really was for me. And it was like, huh, maybe I should go do some more programming because I haven't done that in a while. And it was fun. I had forgotten. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and there are, it's in your blood. It is. And, yeah. And, um, uh, yeah. Yeah. But if that's yeah. not something you Where, love, pick something else. Yeah. Whereas she, as a math teacher, was going like, I just want it to work. But to her credit, she and some of her coworkers did go and find the scripts behind uh, some of the sample websites and other websites, and they were able to pick that up, paste it into the one they were working on, and then 
understand the structure of it enough to, to modify it to make it work for what they were doing. And then when they got stuck, they would, you know, then she would refer back to me and I could do stuff for her, um, which, you know, sometimes I would modify what she was doing. Sometimes I'd just erase it and write, write it from scratch so that I fully understood the thoughts because a longer script, sometimes you have to spend a lot of time going through it, trying to troubleshoot what the heck the previous, whoever wrote it initially was thinking, you know, and they maybe structured it differently. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it's like, it's, you know, if it's something that specifically helps your end goal, then you're motivated, right? And then it suddenly is more interesting. That's different than somebody who says, hey, I think I'll do it for fun, right? I'm going to sit down and ask exercise. But it's true of anything, you know, if you want to be an auto mechanic, you know, good question to ask. And you were brilliant in asking your questions there too, by the way, uh, is, well, you have a car. What have you done in your car? You know, have, have you, have you taken it apart and, and, and set the, you know, have you, have you set the spark plug gaps? You know, have you done anything besides put oil and gas in it? What have you done with that car? You know, have you ever changed a tire? You know, I mean, those are the kind of things that if you want to be an auto mechanic, you should have already done, you know, (laughs) you should should have demonstrated some, you know, some actual demonstration of your interest. Well, and I, you know, I use my son as an example. By the time he was 10 years old, he was already teaching himself uh, programming languages. And he he loved it. It was fun. And he's a computer scientist. He's a systems engineer now because that really floated his boat. And the people who Mm -hmm. are successful, they do it because they really enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I have a brother-in-law who's a retired air traffic controller. And when I met him, he was like 16 years old. And he already loved airplanes. He and his dad would drive out to the airport and watch airplanes come in and land and take off you know, just because they liked airplanes. And they learned to identify which airplanes that was. You know, what model is that? And and it's like, hmm, I think that guy would be really good at air traffic control. And he had a <laughs> great career, you know. Um, he, he figured it out. He, he was able to go like, yep, that's what I want to do. And uh, And so he did it. So, hey, another question that he had on this thing, which I think is a good one, too, because it's it's uh, it's a good looming question for Biden. Are you sidestepping the border crisis or a border crisis? You know, your administration has tried not to call it a crisis, but there's thousands of unaccompanied minors who've been apprehended. And the sheer numbers of an influx of migrants could eclipse what occurred during the Trump administration. At what point will you agree this is a crisis? You know, yeah. and and how did this how did this happen, and what are you going to do? You know, you know, and to our our previous conversation about choosing words, the irony is is that the the cages that Trump was putting kids in were built by the Obama administration. Yes, except that they were called shelters. Ironically, yes. now that Biden is using the exact same containment facilities, they're they're shelters again. But when yes. Trump was using them, they were cages. They were cages. And it's like, really? Wow. How is that not manipulating people? Yep. You know, that it's choice despicable. of words. It really yes. is. It, you know, these news agencies should be ashamed, absolutely ashamed at doing that, you know. And the politicians who did it and, and used those, that language is just shameful. Really oh, is. Yeah. Oh, they ran. They, they campaigned on it. On the inhumanity yeah. of Trump because he use the same facilities that the Obama administration used. Yeah. Now, you know, the that- irony is I had somebody explain it. I listened to somebody try to explain it on a podcast, a, a, um, a, a liberal policy person. And he said, well, the difference is that Trump didn't like those people and was trying to and trying to hurt them. And that Biden does that he cares about them. 
And oh, I'm going, so you know what's in their heart? I think that maybe not uh, incentivizing them not to come here because we don't have the capacity to, to help them here is a more uh, heartfelt and caring position to take. Honestly, well, you know? And honestly, do you think the kid in the cage with the tinfoil blanket cares whether the president has voiced concern? No. Yeah. It doesn't matter yeah. to him. The, the circumstances yeah. on the ground are still the same. The rest of it is just window dressing. Yeah. And I'm certainly not a Trump apologist. I've never been a fan. But but holy moly, that kind of, of slanted lying instead of just reporting the news is just beyond me. Yeah. Uh, and it and it was and it was endemic. I mean, it just uh, news agencies picked one side and used the words, you know, and and it's like, you know, cages or shelter, cages or shelter. You know, yeah. talk about Despicable. fake news. I mean, it's it's not really fake news. It's just it's it's out, out and out lying because because the news it's. Yeah, it's propaganda. That's the better way to phrase it. It's propaganda because it you know, it's yeah, technically, yes, there are children there being detained. But you, you know, nobody says there are children who are being detained at the border. What they say is they're being held in cages. They're being held in shelters. You know, sounds like a like a George Carlin routine, right? The difference between football and baseball. Football's played on a gridiron where you, you know, defeat the enemy and march down into their territory. And baseball's played in a park. <laughs> You know, let's go to the park. Yes. <laughs> you know, and it's it, it 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 almost is that that comically ridiculous. And uh yes. you know, if Carlin were alive today, he would probably be doing that exact bit, you know. <laughs> They're in yeah. cages. They're in shelters. <laughs> They're in the same place, guys. Yeah. They're in the same place. They're same using the facilities place. that we built to hold them. While we try to figure out what to do with them. And yes, it's overcrowded because there's too many of them. Because we basically indicated through through our actions that, hey, come on down, guys. Um, you know, so maybe it wasn't such a bad idea to be saying, hey, don't come here. And if you ask to come in, we're going to make you wait where you are. <laughs> instead of letting you just come in and figure out what to do. Because then we can't find you. So you just well, yeah, stay outside the border. The Biden administration is releasing people into the interior. I am, right. I am all, I am pro-immigrant. I love people coming here and creating a better life for too. themselves and their family and our community, uh, communities. Um, having said that, people have to be screened. Let's be honest. We don't want to let, you know, there are bad people in the yeah. world, and we need to make sure or do the best we can to try to figure out who's who. Right. Yeah, I agree, and I think that you know we we need to, to know. Uh, uh, you know, like I said, we, we've never just said we have a completely open border come marching in, you know, or at least not in the modern era. And and so, you know, we've always had a process for bringing in immigrants. I think we should continue to do that. Maybe we need to rethink what that process is. Maybe we need to have some some additional statuses of uh, st statuses. Is that right? Is that the plural of status? Some know. additional categories uh, for immigrants so that, you know, the people who are, are transitional in terms of migrant workers and stuff can come in, work for a season, and then can move back south if that's where they choose to go uh, or, you know, how it's set up. But there needs to be some, some, some ways to, to handle that uh, efficiently. And, and, you know, right now it's just it's a quagmire. And so, um, yeah, we'll see, see what happens with it. Um, yeah. Um, 
let's see, what are the, some of the other questions here? Uh, hey, we've been in, at war in Afghanistan for 20 years. Um, the Trump administration agreed to a peace deal that would have U.S. troops out of the country by May 1st. Are you going to stick to that deadline? So that's a good question. I haven't heard him say anything about, you know, that particular uh, topic. So I hope somebody asks. Hope somebody asks. Uh, yeah, can you work too. with the Taliban? You know, because if we no. pull out, you know, they're going to uh, to come up now. They uh, it says, do you believe that the Taliban has upheld their commitments under the 2020 deal with the U.S.? Uh, I, to be honest, I don't know what that deal was and what the commitments were, but it'd be very interesting to, to hear his thoughts and understand a little bit more about what's going on there. You know, because. You know, we've had people for 20 years fighting in a foreign war, and it's just become normal. People don't even think about it anymore, but people still die over there. You know? Yeah. Well, the Taliban, is they're awful. They, they're yeah. awful. Um, uh, uh, does that mean that we need to be in Afghanistan forever? No. Didn't work for the Soviets either. They were there for a couple of decades. Um yeah, yeah, it didn't, yeah, it didn't exactly. Wasn't successful for them either. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a you know lose lose proposition. You know you can't tell people who want to kill each other, hey guys, get along, let's all hug it out. Doesn't work. Um, you know, what are you waiting? Here's the, the the follow on question: What are you waiting for? Your secretary Secretary of State reaffirmed at NATO that the U.S. allies would U.S. and its allies would leave Afghanistan together. So when is the right time? What specifically needs to happen for the time to be right? Like, you know, what's the know. dealio? See, and that's the other thing, and this is the indication both to the, to the you know, when the Soviets were there and when we've been there, and, and I think this is the problem with the whole Middle East, is that they all basically have this opinion of, we can outweigh the U.S. The U.S. is absolutely schizophrenic, and, you know, every time a president changes, they, their policy changes, so we'll just wait until somebody's in there that's more favorable to us. And they all have that opinion. And quite frankly, if I were them, I'd have that opinion too. Sure. You know. Yeah, so. because it's, 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 you know, it's the truth. Yep. So. So we're yeah, Some of these other questions are stupid, but yeah. Yeah, we're a little short. We probably should just go ahead and call it that we've kind of gone through this topic, right? <laughs> well, I, I, I just said some of these questions are stupid. Like, you know, how do you measure up to Obama? Well, he's oh, about God. six foot, and I'm five eleven, so I guess yeah. I'm about an inch shorter. You know, and I mean, has been there for two months. Exactly. How do you measure up to a two-term years. president? Yeah, that's Come stupid. On. You know, and 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 how's life at the White House? Well, that's pretty. Uh, uh, and do White House employees need to steer clear of your dog? <laughs> Actually, I like that question. That one's pretty I funny. Do too. <laughs> it's like, where does your dog spend his time? Sitting right at my door. That's what it is. It's, it's like, you know, I want a little quiet time. I just, I just call my pup and have him sit right there, and everybody leaves me alone. <laughs> I would love that question and that answer. If any president <laughs> said that, I would like have new respect for them. It's like, you know, when I need a little quiet time, Fang just stands here, <laughs> and his dog's name is not Fang, but uh, it is not. yeah. No. So anyway, thanks for joining us today. We'll be back tomorrow, Friday, the end of the week. We'll uh, look forward to having you join us again. I'm Todd Brinker. I'm Erin Brinker. Have a great day, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow.